where we continue with our teachings. Um, and and uh, I know that the kindness challenge was a real challenge. And, and I pray that you're, you're working through that. You're working through that. And, and there could be difficulties in terms of maybe what you have faced in the past in the form of unkindness and, and just the friction that that has caused, the wounding that it might have caused. And, and even as you're working your way into, you know, how, how do I come from where I am, a dark place, a wounded place, into a place where I can show kindness. I pray that some of the lessons that you learned, uh, you can actually implement and, and trust God uh, to, to carry you through and, and tide you through to a place where that can actually be possible. So we, I decided that this week, um, just to aid us in that journey, that uh, we will deal with another difficult topic, um, the power of forgiveness. And, and in a sense, forgiveness provides the bridge that can allow us get back into a path of kindness. Uh, so today we'll deal with the, with the power of forgiveness um, we don't have too much time, but we'll touch on it. If we don't finish, we can continue next week. But um, we'll, we'll shift gears. We are now in the New Testament, and I want to deal again with a familiar story, a story that many of us know. It's either called the story of the prodigal son or the story um, of the lost son. And, and, and what the story does, uh, number one, it's powerful. It's told by Jesus. So whatever Jesus speaks, you know, uh, you know that you and I can draw a powerful uh, lesson from that. And we can use that story as a template on how to deal with one another because Jesus exposes the heart of God. He says, this is how God deals with you. And so this is what God expects you of you when you're dealing with each other. Um, again, I make reference many times to this, the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So God knows that there is much to be forgiven. And he also knows that we have been sinned against. And then he puts our requirements, forgive us as we also forgive. And Jesus then adds, for if you do not forgive um, those who sin against you from the heart, then neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And so it's one of those prayers that we say that God is pleased to put um, a condition to, you know, if you expect him to deal this way with you, then uh, you must deal in the same way uh, with your brother and with your sister. Then he'll give a parable about it to show that he actually means it. You must forgive. All right? So today the power of forgiveness, it comes from the book of Luke chapter 15 from verse 11. But let me attempt to make a definition of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, um, this is not a technical definition or anything, but it, it just um, is it, from, you know, uh, what would make sense. Forgiveness is a conscious decision, okay? It's a conscious decision on the part of the offended party to release or to free the offender from the penalty and the guilt of the offense committed. So not who is taking the initiative, Okay? It is the offended party, which suggests to you that this is why the work of forgiveness remains a difficult job. Because it makes a requirement, in a sense, of the victim to still dig deeper into themselves and find it to forgive those who already have forgiven them. It's like Jabu Jopadi. You're already the offended party. Then you're supposed to come up with this other resource 
of being able to forgive the one who has offended you. And all of us, if you are alive and breathing, you can probably think of somebody who you have had extreme difficulty in forgiving. So I don't know that this definition helps, <laughs> okay? But this is a definition, yeah, okay? So forgiveness is a conscious decision on the part of the offended party to release the offender from the penalty and the guilt of the offense committed. Now, it does two things. First, it frees the offender, like we've said, from guilt and punishment. You don't hold it against them anymore. So the offender is free. Maybe that's not a good thing, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but it frees them. But it also frees the forgiver from the burden of anger and bitterness and a sense of vengeance. So this is a benefit to the forgiver. That it also releases you. Because whether you like it or not, if you haven't forgiven, you are carrying a burden. Maybe you are angry. Or maybe you are bitter. Maybe you, you, every time you see this person, something happens inside of you. And it's not something good. It actually wrecks you on the inside. And it is true what they say about unforgiveness, that it's like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. You know, but it is you that is actually injured. So it releases the offender from guilt and punishment, but it also uh, releases you, the forgiver, um, from the burden of anger, bitterness, and a sense of vengeance. Here's the story then. So Jesus is continuing with many stories. He's telling parables about the kingdom of God. And this, in this particular instance, uh, he's telling the story. Uh, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. Okay? Most of Jesus' stories will have to do with husbands and men. And sons. You notice that? Very rarely will you say, you know, there was a woman who had two daughters. You notice that? All right? I, I, I don't know why. I'm not trying to make a theological point. I'm just saying. Maybe he was like me. He thought mostly like a man. But he was God. So he thought like both. All right? So, so again, for me, what this says, every time I come across this, I say, why is he, um, like many people say, on men's case. And, 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 and uh, I, I keep thinking that when, if you could identify God, he identifies as male. You notice that? He identifies as a father. When he wants to send us help, he doesn't send his daughter. He sends his who? His son. So maybe there's something about the level of responsibility and accountability that we carry as men for the human species that we should not take for granted. Maybe there's something there. And I don't want to be surprised when I die and I appear before God, the Father, and he makes all the references to the many sermons that I have preached. Uh -huh. Show me where I said there was a daughter and a son and a mother. Uh, this talks about who? A man. Uh -huh. What are you? That time I said, I identify as female. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bad joke. With the, with the current conversations going on, I'll wear pink. You know? I'm in touch with my softer side today, Lord. 
But my fellow men, let's take this seriously. Let's give it a serious thought and wonder, could there be levels of responsibility? And we saw that in Genesis. Eve takes, eats, gives to the man he takes, eat. When God comes searching, he comes looking for who? The man, specifically. Where are you? It is singular. And it's the man who responds. Eve is quiet. So are there levels of responsibility, levels of accountability, things that we will have to pay for for the human race because we are men? Was there a reason, for example, why God decided to create Adam first and stay with him throughout the saga of creation and planting the garden and the botany and showing him zoology and everything and telling him to name the animals? long before Eve comes. Then Eve appears later. Is there a level of accountability that we bear for the human race that we are unaware of? When God is promising restoration, one of the things he says at the close of the Old Testament, he says this, that he will send Elijah to come and restore humanity, okay? And then he says, and I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons, back to the sons, or else I'll come and strike the land with a curse. I'm wondering, okay, there are also mothers and daughters, but they're not mentioned. Why does he use us as the marker of where humanity is? That when we depart, our hearts depart from our children, then that's a big deal for him. Then I'll come and turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. When he wanted to know how far humanity had fallen, Sodom and Gomorrah, he comes in form of three angels, all men. And all these men are accosted by the men of Sodom and Gomorrah who demand to have, you know, homosexual intercourse with them. And that becomes the proof of how far humanity has fallen. And God is saying, I've come to see for myself if this is true. And if it is, then woe to humanity. I will incinerate this place. Then his heart is like, will I do this evil thing without telling Adam? I mean, without telling Abraham, and, and he's struggling. And once he confirms that that's how far they have fallen as the men of that community, there is no redemption. He reigns sulfur, burning sulfur, and the place becomes a smoldering um, waste. And he swears nothing will ever grow there. So, it's just a wonder I have whether there is a responsibility that we carry as men that we take for granted. And I'm afraid that the time to correct that position is here and now. That we may wake up and step up to our full responsibility on behalf of the human race, on behalf of our families, on behalf of our society, on behalf of our country as men. That clearly was not the sermon. 
but I thought I'd mention it. So, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods and the, uh, that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring um, on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked uh, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and, his, uh, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that uh, is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You're probably very familiar with this story, um, the story of the prodigal son. And uh, Jesus is trying to show us the condition of most of us as human beings in relation to God the Father as a template of how we should deal with similar situations. So there is reality in it in that we are somehow mirrored either by the younger son or the older son. Those are the two extremes that are represented. Um, the younger son does something that is unusual in the Jewish culture. He demands his inheritance. That is not right. Because like many uh, cultures, including our African culture, you don't make demands for inheritance when you are 
father is still alive, usually. All right? Because it's a bad omen. It's, it's, not, it's not right. Anyhow, the father doesn't complain. He doesn't say no. He simply gives him his inheritance. He goes away and squanders it in reckless living. He's living it up. He's partying. And then unbeknownst to him, um, the money will run out. And then he will fall into very, very hard times. The times are so difficult and accentuated by circumstances. There is a famine, you know? Who knows where the famine came from? Maybe it's wale wadudu wako uko wasingishu. Wamekuja, wamekula kila kitu. There is a famine. Maybe it is war in Ukraine. You know, we are being told some of these things are third party issues. So things are just hard. But then, the personal responsibility is that he had squandered the money that he had. Then he hires himself out to another citizen of a different country. So he's not even within Jewish territory. He has gone to foreign countries. He belongs to a very proud country where God had already blessed and said, you will lend to many, you will not borrow from many. You will always be the head, you will never be the tail. So that has been inverted and is right at the bottom of the, of the food chain, so to speak. Things are so bad that he, even the job he was given by that citizen, it's, it's down there, you, you know. Um, he's, he's, he's down in the sewers. Uh, the Jews, you know, their food laws do not even in, allow them to interact with pigs. This is, these are forbidden things, you know. In fact, just by being anywhere near a sheep, uh, a pig pen, then would make you unclean. Right? So the fact that he's working there, feeding the pigs, and now desiring to eat what the pigs are eating, literally feeding with the pigs, that is not good. Even if there were goats, it will still not be good, <laughs> frankly speaking. But he has hit rock bottom. And you know, that may describe where God found you, you know, rock bottom. Uh, some of us having strayed away from God, the Heavenly Father, uh, who has provision for us for everything, and, and then finding yourself in very, very difficult circumstances. Living it up, thinking that you are free, you are living life, only to find yourself in bondage, maybe in addictions, in all manner of things, in the sewer, so to speak, and, and, and completely lost. And, and sometimes God allows you to hit rock bottom so that we come to our senses. We are told here, at one point, he had to come to his senses. What am I doing here? I'm better than this. You know, I wasn't meant to live this kind of a life. I used to love watching the movie Lion King, you know, Lion King? The Mufasa one and Simba, you know? At, at one time, Simba runs away, and, and, and he's found by uh, Pumba and Timon, a pig and, 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 uh, and some, who's that other guy? <laughs> he, whoever, the Carrascal guy. You know, so... And these are guys who, in the normal kingdom, these are guys he should be eating, okay? But now they are his buddies. And now he's, they teach him how to eat their kind of food. Literally, he has dropped to the bottom of the food chain. At first, when he goes there, you know, he's hungry. He asks them whether they have any zebra. <laughs> he's told we are fresh out of zebra, you know, as though they eat that. He's at the bottom of the food chain. The lion is supposed to be king of the jungle. He's supposed to be living up here. But now he hits rock bottom. And one day, some sense literally has to be knocked into his head for him to know he is the king. He's a child of the king. He ought to be ruling, not being ruled. 
And sometimes that's how we behave. We forgot that we were children of the king. And we went to live with the pigs and to eat with them. And we are out there hitting rock bottom. And, and the life we are living is a pale shadow of what God had envisioned in, as an image bearer, representing him, glorifying him, and edifying one another. And now, the most attractive things are maybe the clubs on either side of the church. And that's where we, we find our uh, life, so to speak, which is not life. Then one day you wake up and you are in bondage. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's sex, maybe it's pornography. Whatever it is, there are a thousand and one permutations of the enemy locking you down. You're no longer even, you don't know who you are. And, and, and for those for whom that has been the case, maybe God has already seen you. And you've decided, you know, I don't have to live like this and you have started your journey back, I encourage you to continue. There is life that is truly life in Christ. And there are people to help you along on that journey, to break that bondage, and to set you into a freedom that is truly free, where you can celebrate and rejoice and be in the presence of God, where there is true freedom with no strings attached. The only thing that God wants is your welfare and your prosperity of heart, body, mind, and soul to restore you and to make you strong again. So the son comes to his senses and he says, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the father. What am I doing here? Servants of my father have better meals to eat than this. That, that's the coming to his senses and he has a true conversion at the heart level. He says, I will rise up. That's what you need to do, to rise up. I will rise up. I will go back. The actual meaning of, of repentance in, 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 uh, in, in the Hebrew is called teshuka. It's called to turn and to return. Turn and return. I will rise up. I will go back to the Father. And I will say this. He prepares a speech. And the first thing he acknowledges is, I have sinned. That's the road back to salvation and redemption and freedom. I have sinned. He doesn't blame it on circumstances. He doesn't say, you know, it's the war in Ukraine. It's not the housing levy. You know, none of those. I have sinned. My personal responsibility. I made this decision. I squandered that wealth. I made the wrong choices. I'm the one who has been unkind. I have sinned. And what will I do? I will rise up. I will go back. And I will make this confession. I've, I've, I've sinned against heaven. Sin is first and foremost committed against who? Against God. Because he's the one who declares, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not give false testimony. It's his law that we break. So I stand there and said, I have sinned against heaven or against God and against you, my father. Sometimes we, we want to say, I've done business with God. Yet the person you injured is maybe your spouse. She's right there. But you will not say a confession to her. You will not say, I'm sorry, I hurt you. I'm the one who did this. I'm the one who left the marriage and, and went to, to squander you know, my wealth with prostitutes. I'm the one who went into wild living, you know, 
I'm the one who blew up the wealth of, 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 uh, of our family. I'm the one who walked out on you. You know, it's, it's important to be truthful when we are repenting and to take personal responsibility. I have done this. He, he prepares his speech. So this is a guy who's serious. And then he rose up and started the journey back. He's not just a conversation on the head. It's accompanied by action. Many of us stop it at the head level. That won't help you. It won't change anything. True repentance is I was walking away, then I stopped, I turned, and I returned. I've gone back to where I'm supposed to be. I've realized who I am. This is not where I should be. What am I doing in this home? This is not my house. You know, this is not my spouse. What am I doing with this person? I am breaking my, I am going back. Turn and return. Now, while he was still far off, you see conversion has happened at the heart level. While he was still far off, the father saw him. The father saw him. And what does the father do? He stood, he ran, he embraced him, and he kissed him. What does that tell you about the father? That all these years, I don't know how long it took for the guy to be lost, but all these years, his heart was troubled. He struggled. Where's my son? How is he doing? You know? And parents will know this. Even the child that has rebelled the worst, you still love them. In fact, they go with part of your heart, and you have sleepless nights. You toss and you turn and you wonder, are they okay? How are they going to be? I mean, if you want to see the heart of parents, you watch parents once the children are grown and they are going out to college. They, they implore God and they intercede and they pray and they ask God to give them good company. Not because you're afraid that they will stray, that they will rebel, you know, that they will never find their way back home or they'll come back a changed individual. And, and the heart of the parent is that, oh, God, keep them safe. You don't want anything for yourself. You just want the best for them. And this is the heart of the father. He looks at the son who has been gone for a long time, and he notices him from afar off. Meaning there's not a day that passes without his eyes straying down that road where the son one day just went and disappeared. And he longs for the son to come back. And when he sees even just a silhouette in the far distance, in the horizon, he knows, that's my son coming back. He doesn't even wait. He runs. Before a word is spoken, he embraces him and he kisses him. Meaning the work of forgiveness has already happened in the father's heart. It happened a long time ago, before the son said a single word, before the son even repented. He's just glad to have his boy back home. Whatever has happened out there, it doesn't matter. You're home. This is what is important. You're safe. You are alive. I was worried to death. I thought some harm might come to you. And this is the, the work of forgiveness. And this is what it does. It embraces the offender. It accepts them 
even before they've said a word. That is the forgiveness from the heart. It's actually unconditional. Note the son hasn't said a thing. And he has a speech. He needs to read this thing, you know. He prepared, he thought about it. He wants a chance to say these things. Does the father care at that point? He just embraces him and loves him and kisses him. So while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's when the speech now begins. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, you know, the speech is not yet done. But the father, watch a mambo mingi, you know. The father, yeah? Quickly, and I say, my servant, wapi servant's robe, bring a ring, put a zikwapi. He's eager to restore him. And that's what the work of forgiveness does. It's not only unconditional, it seeks the best of the offender, their restoration, to bring back the relationship to the place that it was before the offense was committed. The great work of restoration. And this is what the father is eager to do. Put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate. Question, do you find it very difficult to forgive? Do you carry the burden and the weight of anger? and bitterness for offenses committed. If, if, if your spouse, if they are the offender, or your brother, or your sister, were to have a change of heart and truly repent, would you even give them the chance to give their speech? Or would you shut them up long before they said anything? Would it even offend you that they are attempting to call you? You see five missed calls. What does this fool want? That's your response. Because you're so angry with them. And, and, and even the, the mere suggestion that they might be wanting to say sorry, to who now and why? I don't even want to say, I don't want to talk to them. And you don't even look forward to a restoration because you've kind of come to be familiar with this space of anger and painting them and labeling them a certain way. You're even afraid of losing that vision of them because you don't know how to deal with them in kindness. And your more familiar territory is just maybe you have very angry conversations on the phone or you've come to a place where you totally ignore each other. You can't even be in the same room with them. Consider the power of forgiveness and what it does. From total lostness, the father describes it this way. This one was lost, but he has been found. He was dead. He's alive. So this is worth celebrating. And maybe some of our relationships are like that. They are literally dead. And, 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 and I don't know, but I know situations where couples, you're not even in the same room anymore. Your housemates, technically. You know? But you don't even spend, you don't share a bed. And maybe the first attempt is 
to be in the same room. But for some of us, if you found your spouse in that room, you say, what are you doing here? Maybe it's the attempt to reconcile, to ask for forgiveness. And maybe you need to go back. It hasn't always been like this. You may want to walk down memory lane. Do you remember when we were so in love, you know? When we couldn't spend a single day without talking to each other. What happened? Begin to talk. The work of forgiveness needs to start with somebody who decides to embrace the template of the father and say, you know what, I can't live like this. This anger, this bitterness, this burden of unforgiveness, it's killing me. How about we start a conversation? How about I host you as my guest and we just have a conversation, we begin to talk. And that conversation begins to shift and ice begins to break and thawing. We say sometimes the marriages go through what we call the winter of marriage. Everything is frozen, stone cold, conversations, bare minimum. Responses, icy cold. But maybe if we have the courage to break the ice, literally. I'm trying to remember the name of the author who has written the four seasons of, of marriage. He says that maybe those, that, that ice will begin to melt and it can once again water the plants that will grow into the spring of our marriage. So it's not a waste. Consider the power of forgiveness. Consider someone who forgave when he could have remained angry and bitter because there was injustice. who did not remain in his place of power and judgment. That is his rightful place. He looked at us and our sinfulness and our brokenness and he says, you know what, Father? Give me leave. Let me go. Let me deal with this thing once and for all. Let me become one of them. Let me walk where they walk. Let them do to me what they really want to do to God. Make me vulnerable. And he was born, we sang of him, a little baby in a cradle in the dirt. And when he was grown, he voluntarily took your sins and my sins, our offenses, the worst of what humanity has to offer, the insults, the beatings. And he climbed on a cross, bearing your sins my sins, your shame, and my shame, naked on the cross. And he hung there. And in excruciating pain, still managed to implore the Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. And you read those words, you're like, no, 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 no. They knew what they were doing, Lord. They sat down. We sat, we planned this and executed it to a T. 
We brought in the Roman authorities. We couldn't get a death sentence, but they could. So we did it. But Jesus still says, forgive them. They planned their actions, but they have no idea what the implications of their actions were. Eternal damnation. They couldn't have figured that out. They were dealing with their selfish motives, their greed for power, their desire to dominate. And so they killed me. Forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. If he could say that, then maybe you and I can spare a thought for the one who has greatly offended us. Consider them. Some of them are our brothers and sisters. We have the same blood flowing in our veins. But we can't sit in the same room. We can't have a conversation. We're so angry with them. Maybe it's an inheritance issue. They swindled you of property that rightfully belonged to you. And so you can't forgive them. Consider this. Long before the son uttered a single word, the father had already decided, you know what? I forgive you. And I want you back home. Whatever you did, that money you squandered, that wasted, is nothing compared with the value that I see in you as my son. Maybe I can say that too about my wife. Whatever offense that you have made or committed is nothing compared with the value that you hold as my wife, part of my flesh and my blood. One flesh in God. So, you know what? I forgive you. I choose to forgive you. Forgiveness is not free and it's not easy. Somebody has to pay the price and the offended party is the one who bears the cost. But it's okay. Because there's a chance and an opportunity for reconciliation. We can once again be a couple. I forgive you. Jesus said, forgive them. He also says, if you do not forgive from your heart, the one who offended you, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. So what we do with the forgiveness has eternal consequences on us. And I don't want to reach a stage where God says, hey, by the way, you know, you almost made it to heaven. But you couldn't forgive your wife for whatever it is that, and whatever she did is nothing compared with what I have forgiven you. So what right do you have to hold a grudge? I'm not saying this because it's easy. I'm saying it because it is right. May the Lord give you the courage, the faith, and the confidence to do what is right. Forgive for God's sake. For God in Christ has forgiven you. And he expects you to forgive. Forgive for your brother's sake, for your sister's sake, for your spouse's sake. Catch a vision of them free of guilt, free of shame, free of the punishment that you want to met on them. Catch a glimpse of this celebration here that's going on, fat and calf and everything. There's a party where there was mourning. Forgive, see them rejoicing, but forgive for your sake as well so that you are unburdened from anger, from bitterness, from the sake 
from the sense of wanting to avenge yourself. For God's sake, for their sake, for your sake. May the Lord bless you.